let's, let's start. I mean, I, um, just I want to hear like your experience with SD three fifty. You know, what how did it start, and and uh, what have you been like doing? And, you know, what got you involved in this? Sure. So, um, so I started with San Diego three fifty a while ago, maybe four years ago. And this was after the election, um, and I was really um, just looking for a way to, to up my activism. And so I attended a meeting. There were a ton of people there, and I really just felt like, you know, San Diego 350 was actually doing a lot. Um, there was a lot of committees. There was a lot of action going on. And so I was inspired by that. However, um, life got in the way, and I didn't really end up doing much with San Diego 350. And so... Fast forward two years later, I got in touch with someone and I can't remember who it was, but I had a one-on-one -on -one call uh, with Joyce Lane, who runs or um, is a lead of the San Diego 350 public policy team. And I was telling her about my interest in food and soil. And she gave me kind of the freedom. She said, you know what, we're looking to start a food and soil team and we think you should just, um, you know, come to the next meeting and see what you think there's someone else interested too. So myself and David Pearl um, decided to start this food and soil committee, which is a part of the public policy team. Right. And like, so, a branch, like there's like five branches. Like, right. Yeah. Like so public policy has like transportation. Um, uh, there's like a team. Yeah, there's a bunch of different teams as part okay. of the policy. So my um, group up until this point has been the food and soil team. And that was like 2018 or so? Let's see. Yeah, it was, yeah it's, it's been going for about a year and a half. And we've, we've accomplished quite a bit in that year and a half. It's really neat. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, what, what, were, what were the initiatives? What did you, like, what was your intention with starting the group and, and what, what kind of unfolded? Yeah, so, you know, there's so many topics within food and soil that are related to the climate. There's, it's food waste, it's um, the way that we farm, it's what we eat. Mm -hmm. And so we really kind of tried to narrow it down and we came up with three different avenues and that was regenerative agriculture, focusing on a plant-based diet, um, reducing meat consumption, and then reducing food waste. And so those are our three areas of focus. And then you know, as part of the public policy team, we did a lot of endorsements for policies that were related to food and soil, but then we also put together climate chats and um, a presentation rather that we could give to groups about those three areas and really focused on empowering and enabling people to make some personal changes with the way that they garden and the way they eat um, and the, what kind of food they purchase and, and kind of make that correlation between what they're eating what they're consuming and the climate. So that's been, you know, our, our presentation's probably been our biggest success, but along with that, you know, just supporting various initiatives and yep. um, aligning with other groups. Like uh, these city initiatives or like uh, city council things or, or who, are you, who are you presenting to as well? Yeah, so some of the groups we've presented to are the Natural History Museum. So we did a presentation to the docents there. And then we also did a climate chat, which um, this part of San Diego 350 um, does a bunch of different climate chats. I'm sure plenty of people have been to them, or maybe that's how they found out about San Diego 350. 
Um, we did it to a, we posted one at a Unitarian Universalist church, but that was really put out to all residents of North County, San Diego. Um, so we've done quite a few and I find that people, they're very thought provoking and we get a lot of people excited. So that's something I'm really proud of. Nice. Yeah. I mean, definitely having a dialogue versus lecturing to anybody is always better. Yeah, we always try and incorporate a time at the end of the presentation where small groups can get together and and chat with each other and talk about some of these ideas because they're familiar to some people and they're completely new to others. So right, no, that's really good. Yeah. So I mean, let's just kind of dig in a little bit onto those three areas, right? Like regenerative agriculture. Um, you know, this is like factory farming, right? You're trying to get away from or or, or farming or agriculture that regenerates the soil that isn't like like that doesn't just leave the soil like so it only goes so many seasons right before it's lost all its nutrients and you have to keep putting more fertilizer back in like it's addressing kind of that right That's yeah and i i'm admittedly not the the team's expert on regenerative agriculture right, right, right. um there's some really awesome resources out there for people and Actually, uh, other some other of my team members um, are really, really into regenerative agriculture, but it's basically what you said. It's, you know, monocropping the way that we've farmed in the United States since really the Industrial Revolution it just mm -hmm. really depletes the soil of um, minerals and, um, you know, actually contributes sometimes to, to greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and regenerative is really just looking to change the way that we farm completely. So we do crop rotations. Mm -hmm. uh, you do a bunch of different kinds of crops in one area. And it can actually, when you do it this way, draw carbon down from the atmosphere. So many people are really excited about the prospect of changing the way that we farm so that um, we're actually pulling carbon down from the atmosphere, which obviously would help meet our climate goals. So it's a really, um, you know, it's not adopted by a ton of people, but it's getting to be bigger and more popular in the, the community as a whole. So just empowering farmers to make that change is really exciting. Right. And I mean, California is the breadbasket of the world. So we have the most farms in like the Central Valley and they're all are essentially monocrop cultures. And yeah, yeah. if you drive up the five to Sacramento, yeah. it's just three hours, four hours of pure farming. But yeah, and it's all the same, like almonds and, you know, almonds. It, yeah, yeah. Almonds. And uh, and the the other thing that I think that I've, I, I'm really, you know, the bees, right, they have to import bees to to pollinate all these monocrop but then the bees don't because it's only one season then they most of them die out right so that's where really I think we have to push farmers away from monocrop and say like you've got to mix in a couple different crops that you know flower throughout the year or have opportunity like we can't just keep bringing the bees there to die like I know it's a bigger issue but right so no yeah you're absolutely right and there's a film called biggest little farm if anyone wants to, to check it out, it's a really, really neat, um, you know, and heartwarming and, and sad uh, film about a, a couple that tries to start a regenerative farm and mm -hmm. how much hard work it is, but also how rewarding it is. And to see, you know, the way the crops just flourish in this way of farming is, is really amazing. So I would re definitely recommend that if people are interested in regenerative agriculture. Cool. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, that's awesome. Um, and I, I just want to let's let's move on to just talk about you know what like growing growing plants in your own garden or, or how do you foster like a good 
garden, you know, for yourself or what, whatever, based on whatever you have. I mean, what, what are some, you know, any lessons learned or is it too, too broad of a no, that's that's a good um, question, and I think that's something actually. You know, when coronavirus started, we uh, Adrian and myself, who's the other co-chair, really had to look at our goals for mm -hmm. the year and kind of reconsider what we were going to focus on. And we found that a couple of things people needed in the beginning, especially where could they get fresh food, that was really important. Mm -hmm. And then people were needing some sort of therapy, and a lot of people were finding that therapy in their gardens. And so we actually hosted a garden happy hour where we, we um, had uh, Adrian and some other folks out in their garden actually showing what they were growing. Um, and so there are a ton of resources out there. There's, you know, if you're interested in starting your own garden, you can go to a community garden and find some neighbors that are really knowledgeable. That's what I would recommend as a way to start. But mm -hmm. what I've done, uh, because I am renting is just gotten pots like you said like you don't have to build a bed you certainly can um there's really awesome raised beds that you can buy mm. online you can build your own from stuff at home depot i mean there's those options but if you want to start small you can simply just um i would get pots you know um maybe six or 12 gallon pots and then go to the local nursery and just grab starters of veggies that you'll actually be excited to eat mm -hmm. and fruits um, herbs, too, right? huh? herbs are good right They're herbs good. are really good too and it's so easy if you get good soil and you water regularly you mm -hmm. will start seeing the fruits of your labor and it's really cool to eat out of your own garden so definitely yeah yeah, yeah. like and i i got like chocolate mint and that that thing grows like crazy it just takes yeah i mean it definitely there's like you know there's some struggle with getting things to grow at times, but yeah. a lot of stuff, like you said, the, the herbs will just take off. They need some sun and water and they're, they're good to go. And what about like the, you said the raised beds, like um, wood, but I know there's like also, like, you know, like kind of aluminum, like bucket style, right? Mm -hmm. like different materials you can use there. Yeah, I've personally had, um, I got a raised bed from a garden supply company. I think it's actually just called garden supply. And it's just basically plywood, um, four sides, like a six by eight. Mm. And you put a little mesh down at the bottom and that thing works so well. And there is um, this soil called recipe 420 and it's amazing. And it makes whatever, for whatever reason, it makes tomatoes like just shoot out of the ground. Yeah. And so getting really good um, organic soil is something I would say is a must, however you're gonna do it. So. I would, I would recommend checking out some of those raised beds. They look really nice too and are perfectly doable in an apartment on a, um, on a balcony or in a small backyard. Right. That's right. And it's like, if you don't have pets, you know, then, then you should take care of some plants, right? <laughs> exactly. Your plants can be your children. Yeah. No, <laughs> and they'll, they'll definitely grow for you as long as you like give them enough water. Right? And so, yeah. Have you done some, do you have some plants? Are you gardening at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, uh, we have like I'm on I'm on a little unit four unit thing, and so I have my own pots in my area. But in our front part, we have like an avocado tree, or have a fig tree, like lime lemon tree and stuff. So I water those and berries too. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. We're super lucky. The place we have is like this sixty to sixty plus year old avocado tree, so it gives us like oh, wow. hundreds of avocados a season. Wow, you are very lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's priceless. It's literally like right? like there's 
if like everybody is happy, you know, our friend, you know, my parents would give away avocados. Like we have too many. Yeah, that's a, and the avocados are a hot commodity. So you. Really oh yeah, right. Um, more than a dollar a piece at least. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and to have them in your backyard, I'm very jealous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's let's talk about I mean veggie fruits and veggies and 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 that kind of as you said like uh there's fruit there's a uh, food deserts there's places where you know there's only like liquor stores right convenience stores there's no uh i mean grocery grocery stores are like like out you know outlet something and they they won't have any fresh produce right or it's all like in a, in a plastic bag or something mm -hmm. um and it just doesn't encourage right like having that balanced diet like uh, yeah yeah, it's and it's um it's something that we I think is becoming even more apparent now in this time. But a food desert um, is basically just like you said, a geographic area where residents don't have access to healthy and fresh food. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, you know, when they're looking at the data, liquor stores and really small little markets will get lumped in with grocery stores as a category. Mm -hmm. um, and so it'll look like, oh, maybe, you know, there's a, there's a store here for food, but really it's selling packaged food, maybe an apple, banana, but they're usually priced higher than the, the packaged food. Sure. Um, and then also they're just, these areas are full of fast food restaurants. So it's cheaper. Um, and unfortunately when it's cheaper, it's the better option for a lot of people to get fast food as opposed to going to a grocery store. So. That's something that yeah, there's that, like no veg any vegetable and fast food is like have, at that point you know heavily processed and, and yeah exactly and so it's it's really really sad because when you think about it when there is lack of access to this healthy food um, you get all sorts of health problems obesity and which leads to heart disease diabetes blood pressure which are some of the biggest killers in America and so just this inequity in access to food is a huge issue. And it's something that food and soil team is definitely looking to address mm -hmm. um, and see what other partner organizations we can work with to, you know, there's community gardens that are going into some of these neighborhoods and that's a huge help. And then there's also just policies requiring uh, certain areas to either put a moratorium on any new fast food chains in these areas or to require grocery stores to go in and have some healthy access to, to fruits and vegetables. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And it's definitely, um, it's definitely an issue. Yeah, um, like one thing, one tip I heard on the internet that I think is, is just good advice is if you go to a grocery store, like stay on the outer edges, right? That's mm -hmm. like the outer edges of the store is where all the, you know, bread and then all the you know fresh meat fresh seafood if, you, if you're into that and then all the veggies fruits and veggies and stuff right like all the fresh stuff is there um, yep exactly yeah i mean the only um the only caveats i would say to that are um you know sometimes frozen fruit and vegetables is a good option for people because oh, yeah. um, it's a little oh, bit cheaper often and it's picked um, at the peak of freshness so venturing in that, down that aisle doesn't always hurt. And then, you know, for me, I'm always hitting up the canned bean aisle. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's some good stuff in the middle, but that's a really good general rule. Like stick with the produce, all the fresh food on the perimeter. And, um, you know, you'll really kind of change your diet quite a bit by doing that. Right, no, totally. Um, and the other, other option, I mean, if, if there isn't, uh, 
you know, if, if a grocery store can't go to an area, then, you know, some other solutions could be, you know, like a food truck, you could bring, you know, that then you can have fresh meals being brought in or, or like a mobile grocery store, that's our food farmer's market, right? But again, then you need to, that, that's a lot of organizing and a lot of, has to be a real will, right, within, within the area. Yeah, I mean, it, it often, where, where things have changed, like there's been some change in LA and Chicago, it's been really coming from grassroots community organizers who are really, really pushing for gardens, for grocery stores, um, and for education around fruits and vegetables for kids, uh, parents, whole families. So it does take a lot of work and a lot of organizing, but it's certainly, like I said, you know, how much it ends up costing alone the, the government by, you know, all the health problems that go along with eating so much processed food. It's, it's more than worth it to, to bring access to, to fresh produce to these right. communities. You'll, you'll pay less now, but the health problems down the line, you know, that, that they, if, if you address it earlier on, you lead a healthier life, right? We, we'll have less people going to the emergency room for heart disease, for cholesterol, for um, all these kind of issues. I yeah. want to talk briefly, I want to go back to this community garden idea, because I'm curious, uh, how does that, you said, you know, certain regions are starting up, is that like a city project where it designates, like, I've seen some is like an unused street, like unused uh, space, mm -hmm. the city buys and puts it in, or how do those, do you have any background and knowledge about that? Yeah, um, so it, it really just, um, you know, you do have to get a permit from the city, but a lot of times, they are in um, an unused lot. There was uh, one in City Heights that I volunteered at for a while. And um, they have a new name now. It might be New Roots Community Garden, but um, they basically got permission from the property owner to turn the land into a community garden. And, um, you know, it does take a lot of volunteer work to set up the beds, to, um, you know, monitor for bugs and critters mm -hmm. and plant. But you do find that, and from what I saw, a lot of community members are, once they see it, they're interested in getting involved and they'll yes. have to get involved with the gardening process too. So it's a really good option for everyone, you know, not just food deserts, but for even, um, you know, places that have grocery stores and easy access to food, just because getting people's hands in the soil and getting them actively involved in growing their own food, you know, even if they can't because they live in an apartment or something, um, we see these benefits, mental health benefits, health benefits, um, just kind of grow from there. So community gardens are a huge asset to a city. And I think there are some cities and I'd have to check that are going forward mandating that when there's any new growth, that there be a, a zone for community gardens. So that's okay. a really good policy. Yeah, I mean, it's like you not only get, you get people the experience of growing some food, like, which, you know, it's a, it's a long experience, you, know, you really get invested in it, because it takes months, and, you know, you really have to care for it, and then also, um, just building community, right, I mean, you, we, like, right now, I think anything that can get people together outside doing activities, working on something together is, you know, admirable, and probably should be encouraged. Uh, yeah, it's a perfect COVID activity is gardening. Right. And right. if you can do it, like you said, in community, it's even better. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, clearly, it sounds like they there kind of has to be at least, you know, that's, that's what keeps it going, at least, right? Like, yeah. people really enjoy going there. And um, 
spending the time and, and talking to people and, and working, you know, getting, getting their hands dirty and building something nice. Yeah, I mean, there has, there's got to be someone kind of spearheading it and, and really taking the lead um, and some really committed volunteers, but you do see people, um, you know, really wanting to get involved once they see, you know, just in, in some of these communities that are food deserts, um, or a lot of times there just aren't trees or there, there isn't as much landscaping, as much green. Mm -hmm. So by having that community garden, it also provides that added benefit too of just you know, instead of an empty lot, you have beautiful fruits and vegetables growing. Right, right. That's yeah, very, it feels, I mean, just like hearts, they're welcoming, right? Just yeah. By nature. Yeah, it's a good, so, safe place to hang out. Yeah, exactly. So we have five minutes left. I want to just focus a little more future talk if we can. Yeah. Um, because, you know, our agriculture, it's kind of, hidden in the grand scheme of, for most people of what its actual emissions are and yeah. its impact. Um, I mean, we do not account for deforestation that then is turned uh, into fields for cows, which then release methane, which then take up thousands of gallons of water for each, you know, like there's this, and then, you know, not to mention shipping it all across the world and processing at these meatpacking facilities or, or what, what have you. Um, just in general, right? Our diets, like this Western, you know, processed diet with palm oil and these kind of things, it's it's an enormous portion, right? We, uh, upwards of 20% of all global emissions, right? Right. And majority of it, at least from my understanding, is meat-based. It's it's cattle, right? We've given way too much. It's like over 50% of all U.S. land is just used for cattle um, and, and a few other animals, but they really drive the, the story here, right? For our steaks, for our hamburgers, these kind of things. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to call attention to is this company, JBS, and there's, they're literally, they, they're the ones that are primarily responsible for deforesting the Amazon, building their cattle farms, and then selling the meat to the U.S. So, um, you know, it, it, with such a big problem, you've got to, you've got to think of solutions, right? And, right. Um, you know, obviously the first one is let's stop eating meat. You talked about that, right? Um, right. But you have to kind of convince the meat eaters that that's the right thing to do by, <laughs> that's what we have to do. We have to come up with, you know, meatless meat, uh, meat that tastes just like, uh, tastes just like it, uh, hopefully better and right. plant-based. So, right. Um, you know, obviously, I think this trend started decades ago, right, with the hippies with their bean patties and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's come, I mean, it's come so far. I mean, like you said, in the early days of being a vegetarian, it was like bean and oat burgers, which I for one love. But, um, you know, to get someone who's been on a heavily meat-based diet and absolutely loves it, it's going to require a, a bit more than that. So, you know, there are, there's so much innovation in the plant-based space to get um, some meat alternatives and they taste amazingly like meat. And some of them are made out of 